This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. Joining us is Ted Sides. He's founder and managing partner of Capital Allocators, author of a new book entitled Capital Allocators, How the World's Elite Money Managers Lead and Invest. And he joins us on the phone in Greenwich, Connecticut. Ted, nice to have you here on Bloomberg. Thanks so much for having me, Carol. Well, listen, and you're also host of the Capital Allocators podcast. You talk to some of the world's top professional investors. Um, Before we get into the conversations you've had in the book, how are you? What's the past year been like for you? (laughs) You know, it's hard to say given what's happened, but honestly, it's been one of the best years of my life. Why? well, it's a combination of things. On the professional side, the podcast, as it turns out, right, this medium can grow and continue in an environment like this. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to focus. It's been easier to get access to some of the people that I get a chance to talk to because their schedule, their travel schedules are down. And the engagement with the content we've been putting out has just grown. It grew over 100% last year in, wow. in terms of downloads. So that's been great. On the personal side, I got married last year, so (laughs) met the love of my life, and things have been great. Congratulations. Wow. Uh, Like hitting it out of the park. That is incredible. Um, You know, it's funny that you say that about access to people, because I think that's something we realized, too, that everybody, once you realized it was kind of okay to talk, uh, everybody was home and in the same situation. And you're right, we had like access to people too that we hadn't before. So it's interesting that 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 was your uh, experience as well. Let's talk about um, your book and capital allocators, because I do think we're in an interesting time where we're watching a lot of investment trends. Uh, We're watching the SPAC explosion, the Reddit revolution. We're watching crypto Bitcoin values continuing to grow and and actually go more mainstream. Um, How do you see it? What are some of the things that you find interesting? What's worrisome? What screams opportunity to you? Sure. Well, you know, the people that I talk to regularly in the world I came from are really these asset owners, these long duration, long term pools of capital. And not a lot changes in the way they go about investing day to day or week to week. Uh, So there are always a few key trends that come into play and and come in and out uh, of their idea generation. But for the most part, what they're finding um, is that, generally speaking, capital markets look expensive. Mm -hmm. And they all have spending obligations they need to meet, call it, you know, 5% for a foundation or a little bit more for a pension fund. So they're really scratching their heads and saying, like, how are we going to meet these long-term objectives given that the easy ways of accessing, say, you know, index funds or things like that just don't look like they're priced to reach these long-term return objectives. Okay. So then having said that, when you look at some of the more, maybe, you know, other areas to go, whether it's crypto, I mean, you like crypto, correct? The crypto area. I do. I, 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 I like it for a particular reason, which is we are in this world of fiat money debasement. And all of the risk assets, whether you like stocks or bonds or venture capital or private equity, they're all sort of predicated on dollar-based instruments. And so crypto is this kind of asymmetric option for the potential of digital gold uh, and Bitcoin in particular. So you have a combination of, of the thought of something that may be very important 10 years from now. Uh, in terms of just Mm -hmm. maintaining your store of value. And then you have attached to that sort of the venture capital thesis, which is if you look at where all the talent is going, of these young people coming out of school, all these engineers, something like 20 or 25% of them 
um, and this according to Chris Dixon that Andrews and Horowitz, who I had on the show, mm-hmm. he said something like 20 or 25% of them, they're all going to build blockchain technologies. Mm-hmm. And when all the talent, that's what Silicon Valley does. When the talent moves in a certain direction, they go and look to access it. And so you put those two things together, and yeah, I have a small percentage of my personal portfolio invested in crypto. In particular, I, I'm taking baby steps. So for me, it's just Bitcoin and Ethereum at this point in time. Hey, Ted, one thing I want to ask you, and we just did a story, Charlie and I, um, for some of our audience, and it's about ESG, and it's an opinion column here at Bloomberg, but it's just... There is a feeling that because there's so much money flowing into the ESG space, it's where investors, a lot of institutional investors are increasingly looking to commit new money, that a lot of, you know, uh, investment houses or fund offerings are just kind of slapping an ESG label on it. What do you think about, I know you like the ESG space and that you are following it. How do you, you know, how do we make it purer and more true? (laughs) Yeah, well... I think you have to start with that perspective. If you look backwards, as this sort of research study showed, there will be a lot of that. And the reason is, as one of my guests, James Aitken, had said, there's a tsunami of capital coming into this space for all the right reasons. And so really starting with Greta Thunberg a year and a half ago, her uh, her description of what was happening, Davos, just before COVID, every description was about climate change. We know that this is really important. And it will be a very strong secular change in how capital gets allocated worldwide. Now, as soon as money starts flowing, it's not that surprising that people trying to capture their share of it will do, you know, what you call greenwashing. Mm -hmm. But let's not be too short term about that. If you look over time, the first thing is we now have interest. We have interest in doing things that are better for the environment. We have interest in promoting more socially diverse people uh, throughout the economy all of which is good for the long term. Now, as that happens, we need definitions. We need to understand it in the capital markets and public markets. We need benchmarks. And if you look at the different benchmarks, nobody really knows yet what is a good company, what is a bad company. And that will get worked out, but it does take time. And in that process, I'm not that surprised that you have products that want to say they have an ESG lens for the first time, and maybe they do and maybe they don't. But over time, I think we'll see the stronger companies that have the, those trends and doing the right things for a broader constituency than just the shareholder will be the winners over time. And you know, that will play out as capital markets do. Until then, yeah, there'll be a little bit of a mess along the way. Okay, but ultimately, the, the long game is that we get to a better point. Yeah, I think so. Hey, listen, your book, your podcast, your approach, there's a lot of useful information, informative. It's, you know, really on how the best invest. It's very instructional. Uh, I think you even in, in maybe the forward, call it a textbook. Um, you talk with the best. Are there common threads among the best capital allocators and elite money managers on how they lead and how they invest? There really are. And you could really break it down into two sets of disciplines. One are the investment related and then the other are the leadership related. So if you start with the latter, the investment industry is known for managing money well, not for managing people well. And one of the things I've had the benefit of doing on the podcast is interview people from other disciplines Mm -hmm. who are talented at leadership and management and things like decision making, Annie Duke, the great, the great former poker player. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, The great CIOs are really like baseball's five-tool players. 
they really understand all of these different disciplines. And I, what I try to do in that section of the book is describe some of the basics, like how do you do this well? Then you turn to the investment side. And you know, I was very fortunate to learn in the formative part of my career from David Swenson, mm-hmm. who is the, sort of the dean of this and wrote the seminal book 20 years ago. Um, and it does start with really an understanding of what's the purpose of the capital, what is the time horizon, what beliefs about investing do people bring in, and then a disciplined process that I walk through in the book of how do these people find their investment ideas, how do they do their research, how do they make decisions, and then how do they monitor and manage their portfolio, manage risk over time. Is there something to, like, do all of them admit that they've made some really big mistakes and that was kind of a big learning opportunity? Not all of them, but only the good ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mean admit that they made a mistake? <laughs> yeah. You know, the investment business in some ways is very humbling. Morgan Halvill, yeah. who recently wrote the book Psychology of Money, has this great analogy that he says, you could be trained at the greatest academic <laughs> institution, work for the best place on Wall Street, and still underperform someone who knows nothing. If you were a brain surgeon, that would never, ever happen. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, the the great investors are only right 55 to 60 percent of the time in the public market. So, um, yeah, it's a very humbling business and it's important for people to learn from their mistakes. How do you hope people use this book? You know, I wrote this book in large part because it was what I wanted to distill for my own investing and the investing that I do. Mm. And what I hope is that people see it as incremental ways that they can get better. And that's what the, the podcast has been, this, this just phenomenal way of sharing in public with some of these great investors, how they go about doing what they do. And every single one of them has a little nugget of wisdom along the way, which in fact is the whole third section of the book is just a series of quotes that are some of the very best quotes about how these people think about the it. The nuggets of wisdom, also, right? <laughs> nuggets of wisdom. And how they think about life, too. Well, listen, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to say your favorite conversation. That wouldn't be fair because I, I, you know, somebody who talks to a lot of people, when people ask me that question, I'm like, I like everybody. I mean, I, you know, it's just a, it's fun to kind of go back and forth. Um, but do you have some that stand out for you? It's hard. I do have 200 children and probably <laughs> 190 of them have been outstanding students. Um, or any surprises? Is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there, there is one I love to point to, not so much that it's so much different or better than any others, but it really was what I thought I might be able to get at. And that was the conversation I had with Scott Malpass, who's the recently retired chief investment officer at Notre Dame University. Mm-hmm. And I had known Scott from when I worked at Yale, but I hadn't seen him in, I hadn't seen him in over a decade. And when we sat down, that conversation for me was, hey, how have you evolved investing over the last 10 years? And he walked through every aspect of what they had done in that office. And there was so much rich information about his investment process. And he's uniquely positioned because he had been in the seat for 30 years and really had just stellar results. So that wasn't so much it wasn't my favorite or least favorite. It was just something that was really emblematic of the lessons that people can learn from listening to the show. Well, I'm just thinking these uh, words of wisdom uh, or nuggets of wisdom, I should say, would be a great series of T-shirts because there's some really great ones um, there. Listen, good luck with the book uh, and really fun to have you join us. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Ted Seides, he's founder and managing partner, Capital Allocators, the book Capital Allocators, How the World's Elite Money Managers Lead and Invest, just out. 